Welcome to Into the Verse, where we share new and unexpected insights about the Parsha, diving deep into the verses to uncover the Torah's own commentary on itself. Hi, I'm Ari Levison. I have such a beautiful episode to share with you. Beth Lesh, one of the scholars at Aleph Beda, is going to talk about one really strange line in the beginning of this week's Parsha. It's a line which actually troubled me for years. Yeah, I'd seen answers, but none of them were really satisfying. That is, until Beth came along and shared an interpretation that I will never forget. Here you go. Hi, I'm Beth Lesh. If God is one, and that seems to be a pretty fundamental precept of Judaism, then why does God have so many different names? Look at the start of Parsha Vaera. The Israelites are in slavery in Egypt, and God comes to Moshe and says, Ani Yudke Vavke, I am Yudke Vavke. God's name here is spelled Yud and He, Vav and He, but we don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm just going to say Yudke Vavke. Anyway, I am Yudke Vavke. Va'era el Avraham el Yitzchak ve'el Yaakov be'kel Shakai. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as Kel Shakai. Ushmi yudke vavke lo nodati lehem. But with my name yudke vavke, I wasn't made known to them. What is this supposed to mean? The God who appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same as the God who redeemed the Israelites from slavery. And that's the very same God that I was praying to just this morning. So why is God making such a big deal about this one knew Yudke Vavke, this one knew Kel Shakai. One God, right? Now, you might be thinking, maybe the forefathers literally didn't know that Yudke Vavke was one of God's names. Maybe God only ever introduced himself to them as Kel Shakai. It's all just semantics. Except there's a problem with that reading. We have the forefathers on record saying the name Yudke Vavke. For example, Avraham says, I have lifted up my hand to Yudke Vavke. Yitzchak says, and I will bless you before Yudke Vavke. Yaakov says, Yudke Vavke made it happen quickly for me. They knew the name. Evidently, when God says that the forefathers didn't know Yudke Vavke, he was speaking figuratively. He was saying, there are different aspects of my being. The Kelshakai aspect of my being, the forefathers knew it well. But the Yudke Vavke aspect of my being? Yeah, they knew the name, but they never really experienced it. One God, many aspects. Which leads us to the obvious question. What are these different aspects of God's being? What is the Yudke Vavke aspect of God? What is the Kel Shakai aspect of God? I think I found something that sheds new light on this question. And the way that I got there is by reading the name Kel Shakai in context. You see, here in Vaera, God says that he appeared to the forefathers as Kel Shakai. That's not just a poetic turn of phrase. It actually happened. God is assuming that we know our Bible. He's referring us back to a specific verse from the book of Genesis. Vayera Yudke Vavke El Avram. And Yudke Vavke appeared to Abram. Vayomer Elav. And he said, Ani Kel Shakai. I am Kel Shakai. Indeed, that's the first time that the name Kel Shakai ever appears in the entire Torah. I want to continue to look at that verse with you, because when we do, I think that we'll find something surprising, that God is telling us, flat out, how we're supposed to relate to Kel Shakai. 
So what did God say to Abraham there? How did God instruct him to relate to Kel Shakai? Ani Kel Shakai, I am Kel Shakai, God says. Walk before me and be perfect. So how are you supposed to relate to Kel Shakai? You walk before him. But what does it mean to walk before God? Interestingly, the Torah has described people as walking with God before. Both Chanoch and Noach in the book of Genesis were mithalech et ha'elokim. They walked with God. But until Avraham, no one has yet walked in front of God. So what's the difference between walking with God and walking before God? And what does it have to do with this particular divine name, Kel Shakai? Now, I can certainly sit here and speculate about what it might mean to walk before God, but I think we can do better than speculation. You see, there's a curious moment at the end of the book of Genesis in which Jacob seems to tell us plainly what it means to walk before God. Listen to what Jacob says when he's lying on his deathbed, just before he blesses Ephraim and Menasheh. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. There's that walking before God bit again. The God who has been my shepherd for my whole life until today. Did you notice that Jacob just described God in two different ways? I want to suggest that Jacob is actually setting up a sort of equation for us. The God before whom my forefathers walked. Who's that? The God who has been my shepherd. According to the Midrash, this indeed is how the Talmudic sage Rabbi Yochanan seems to have read the verse. That to walk before God means to play the sheep to God's shepherd. Now, to say that God is your shepherd and you are his sheep sounds like a very religious thing to say. But can we nail it down any more specifically than that? What is it like to be a sheep shepherded by God? And here's where it gets really cool. I got in touch with a friend of mine who's an animal scientist. She gave me a primer on sheep behavior, and I walked away with a really startling theory about what this metaphor, this central religious metaphor, God is my shepherd, about what it might mean. First of all, Jacob, and Rabbi Yochanan for that matter, were spot on about the analogy. Sheep really do walk in front of their shepherd. If the shepherd tried to stand in front of his sheep and say, sheep, go, the sheep would just look at him, amused. Sheep only follow other sheep. So that puts the shepherd in a bit of a pickle. You see, a shepherd doesn't want to let the sheep decide where to go. Sure, their instincts are usually good, but not always. Sheep could get themselves into all kinds of danger. The shepherd's got to guide them. So he does it from behind. When a shepherd stands just behind the flock, do you know what happens? The sheep at the very back of the flock is able to perceive the shepherd just barely through his peripheral vision. And the sheep's instincts tell him, it's time to move. So he moves, and he gently bumps into the sheep in front of him, who gently bumps into the sheep in front of him. And before you know it, the whole flock has changed course. The shepherd is leading, but from behind. How cool is that? The sheep, it seems, don't even realize that they're being guided by the shepherd. From their perspective, they just feel the pressure of the sheep behind them. But the shepherd is there the whole time. He's watching them. He's guiding them. He's protecting them from predators, from poisonous plants. And if he's good at his job, they'll never even know that he was protecting them. So if we're right about this sheep metaphor, that the shepherd leads subtly from behind, 
And if we're right about that Jacob verse, that walking before God means that God is your shepherd, then maybe we're in a position to understand what exactly the Almighty meant when he told Avraham, walk before me. Maybe he was saying something like this. Avraham, I've made all of these grand promises to you about your birthing a nation, about inheriting a homeland. But here's the thing. These are long-term promises. You might not realize this yet, but you're not going to see them fulfilled in your lifetime. And because you don't see these promises coming true, Avraham, you may feel as if I'm not there with you, that I'm absent from your life. Avraham, that's because I'm behind you, like a shepherd is behind his sheep. Of course you can't see me. You're not seeing me saving you miraculously from harm. You're not seeing that I'm guiding your life. You feel like you're at the mercy of all these mundane influences. Now there's a famine and you're off to Egypt. Now you're getting sucked into this war so you can save your nephew Lot. You feel like your whole life, you're just being pushed around by the sheep behind you. But you're not. I am standing behind you, making sure that you get to where you need to go. I am your shepherd, and I need you to keep on walking fearlessly before me. Maybe Kelshakai is a shepherd, and he asks us to be his sheep. Now, we're not done yet, because if what I've said is true, if that is at least one small piece of what God means when he uses the name Kelshakai, then by contrast, what might the name yud Vavke mean? Now we can come back to God's opening statement in Va'era. It's hundreds of years after the era of Avraham. The children of Israel are in slavery in Egypt. And God says to Moshe, Avraham only knew me as Kelshakai, but now you are going to know me as something else, as Yudke Vavke. So what is this new aspect of God that the Almighty wishes to reveal now to Moshe? Now here's my take. Sort of a hunch, really. And I offer it with all due humility. If Kelshakai is the God that you walk before, the God who you can't see, then maybe Yudke Vavke is the God who you can see, so to speak. Because could you imagine a God more visible, as it were, than the God who bursts onto the scene in Parshat Va'era? A God who, after 400 years of radio silence, makes his presence known to his people, to Pharaoh, and to the entire world in rather unsubtle, unmistakable ways? A God who miraculously redeems Israel from slavery with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with ten plagues and a split sea to boot? It's a pretty far cry from God as shepherd. That God doesn't guide from behind, asking you to walk before him. He is right there with you. You can see him. Abraham never knew a God like that. It's true, Avraham saw miracles, like the birth of his baby boy when he was a hundred years old. But that was nothing like the grandeur, the utter undeniability of the God of the Exodus. Abraham only knew Kelshakai, the God who goes behind. It was the Israelites, beginning in Parshat Va'era, who came to know Yudke Vavke, the God of signs and wonders. So where does our generation fit into this whole scheme? Which aspect of God is manifest in our world? Do we live with the God of the Exodus, the God that you can't deny? Or do we live with the God of the forefathers, the God who can't be seen, the God who guides us from just beyond the scope of our vision? I think it's a little of both. Just think about God's promises. 
God promised Abraham that he would father a nation. Abraham never lived to see it, but we have. Today, the Jewish people are a nation. The promise came true. We can see it. Near as overtly as the generation of the Exodus saw God part the waters of the Sea of Reeds. But what about some of the other promises that God made to us? That Abraham's offspring would be too many to count. And more far-flung than that, that nations won't lift up their swords anymore. We're still waiting on those. We're holding on to those promises, realizing that we may never see them fulfilled in our lifetime. That we, like Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, will just have to keep walking, trusting that God is a step behind us. I think we're seeing these two valid parts to the faith equation, these two modes by which we're asked to relate to God. And a mature faith in God, it would seem, has to draw from both. There are times when we get to walk with God, when we feel that we can experience God's presence so clearly and closely, that we can see God's hand in our lives, when we can bask in that intimacy and that clarity. But there are also times when God says, I'm going to hang back. I need you to go on ahead. Do you think you could do that? When God asks that of us, it can feel lonely. But God isn't abandoning us. He's playing the shepherd, inhabiting the relationship that he first enjoyed with his beloved Avraham. He's guiding us from behind. Normally, this is the point in the episode where I would take the ideas we talked about and try to make them relevant to our lives. But truth is, Beth did such a good job that there's really not much to add. Our whole lives, personal and national, are made up of a balance between these two kinds of relationships with God. If you want to keep digging, Rabbi Foreman has some further ideas about the meaning of the name Kel Shakai in his video, Finding God in Science. The link is in the show notes. Into the Verse is a free product of Aleph Beta. If you want to help us keep it that way, head on over to alephbeta.org and subscribe. Be our partner in spreading Torah. Helping us is far from the only reason to check out the website, though. You see, Rabbi Foreman and the team have spent a decade building the most incredible library of Torah. And I'm not just talking about podcasts. I'm talking about videos on every Parsha and holiday with animations that don't just capture the attention. They make the most complex ideas seem as clear as day. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you gotta check it out. Again, that's alephbeta.org. Oh, and if you're already a subscriber, please share this podcast with your friends and family. It really helps us grow. And before I go, I wanna remind you again about our voice note feature. With the click of a button, you can leave us a voice note. Just click the link in the description. This episode was written and recorded by Beth Lesh. Editing was done by Shoshana Brody. Our audio editor is Hilary Gutman. Our editorial director is me, Ari Levison. That's this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening.